Welcome to the TTPOA podcast, a podcast for SWAT officers, military, and all first responders. We'll be talking training, tactics, and leadership with the best subject matter experts around. Here are your hosts, Derek and Brandon. What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode 13 of the TTPOA podcast. Hey, I'm Derek. As always, I'm here with Brandon. What's going on, man? Hey, Derek. Man, good to see you on this Sunday afternoon. Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Can you believe that we made it to 13? Well, I don't know because we're, we're, we're doing this before Dave actually airs, so we might not even get to 13. You're right. With so Dave, this episode may never even They may occur. pull the plug before. Yeah. But you have the power to release it, though. So I do. Yeah. I tell you what, and thanks to the guys that are giving us feedback uh, through, so, through social media and online. Uh, it's awesome. And uh, keep the questions coming in because what we want to do is we want to do a Q&A. Uh, we want to try to do a Q&A. So if you guys have any any law enforcement questions, SWAT questions, leadership questions, anything, any type of questions you guys have, uh, send those in and we'll try to find the best ones and we will sit down and talk about those and answer those questions. All right. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, let's keep it funny because that's what makes it interesting, right? Yeah. That's all we know too. Yeah. Because we can't be serious. But also, well, I will get serious real quick. Oh, here we go. So... Um, just a just a uh, just a remembrance of uh, a few weeks ago we lost uh, Lubbock County uh, Sergeant Josh Bartlett, um, just making the ultimate sacrifice, going and trying to save a uh, downed officer, and uh, his life was taken from that. So just kind of just dedicate this episode to him. Uh, I got to train with him a few times. He came to Region Seven. That's how I met him. Uh, he was one of those guys that just always had a smile on his face, uh, always loved to train, came out to uh, from Lubbock all the way to the Dallas area, uh, a lot of times on his own dime, uh, and so uh, went to the funeral, and that was just uh, it was a, a really good memorial service of just what his life represented, so just wanted to, the guys that know him, just, uh, just this is dedicated to him and his, his family and just his department and stuff, and the guys that were out there in Lubbock. Of county and then Lubbock SWAT guys uh, that also helped them out. So just my uh, feelings are, and, and prayers have been with y'all for a while, guys. Yep, it's a tough day when the TTPOA loses a a, a member out doing um, doing the work that uh, that we all do. Yes, sir. So. Yes, sir. All right. Well, hey, today, uh, guys, we are sitting down with Matt Pranka, episode thirteen. Matt Pranka of X Ray Alpha. Matt, how's it going? It's good. How are you guys? Did I get that name right? Yes, See? you got it right. <laughs> See, I was practicing and making sure I wouldn't screw it up. Seventh time. The seventh time seventh I got it right. Seventh time is a charm. So what's going on, man? Nothing. Glad to be out here in uh, in Texas, teaching with TTPOA. I think it's something I wanted to do yeah, quite a while, a while ago. It took a, it took a while to <laughs> I know. I went back to one of our original up. emails. It was like 2019 maybe or so, like the end of 2019. So I'm not blaming you for that, Matt. I'm kind of blaming him. He probably dropped the ball somehow yeah, for getting you out here. <laughs> I'm running. Man, I need 30-hour days and eight-day weeks Yeah, for how busy I've been. It's, it's funny because he's one of the only guys that's like, normally guys, hey, you give me a year out. Oh, yeah, I can do that. He's like, man, no, normally like, like 30 to 45 days is pretty good for me. I'm like, oh, okay, that's totally different than the guys I'm usually dealing with. So. Trust me, I, I wish I could forecast a year out. Uh, Make life a lot easier, right? 100% it would. Well, Matt, for the guys that don't know you, man, can you um, uh, tell us a little, about, a little bit about yourself and yep. a little bit of your background? Yep. So uh, my name is Matt Pranka. I, since 2019, I own a company called Extra Alpha. Teach uh, 
shooting tactics, leadership and mindset, you know, to law enforcement and uh, military. I haven't done any uh, civilian classes um, just yet. So focusing on that, I spent 26 years in the military. First part of my career, I was in the Navy. I was a, a recon corpsman. Uh, at some recon units on the West Coast, and then ended up retiring as a sergeant major out of the Army. Oh, nice. Kind of a weird route. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Go go Navy, then Army? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So which one's better? <clears throat> no comment. <laughs> I tried to get you on that one, but I couldn't couldn't fool you. So what are you doing in uh, Texas right now? Uh, we've got a, we got a two-day uh, pistol class at TTPOA yep. that we're awesome. doing. It's going to be uh, enjoyable. We actually have pretty decent weather the for August. Nice. Yeah, for August, it's not bad in Texas. So, so it's a lot better. The humidity is way better than North Carolina right yeah, now. I can't imagine. Yeah. Now, do you travel all over the country and teach these classes? Yep. Yeah, I've been uh, all the way California. You know, a lot of it, I focus on the the East Coast, you know, but a couple times to Texas, San Antonio. Okay. First time to Dallas here. Yeah, first time. I've been out to California. Yeah, Santana's got some good dudes down there. So uh, good law enforcement guys down there. Excellent yeah. shooters. Oh yeah, yeah. They're uh, down around Houston. I've never trained with TTPOA down there. Right. Did some private contracts for companies, military companies, um, down in San Antonio. But no, I'm glad to yeah. break it into TTPOA. I appreciate having me out. Yeah, for sure. Should be a no, good time. Uh, we look forward to having you uh, at our conference coming up and coming up. It'll yeah. be here before you know it. April. Yeah, we'll be hungover again. Yep, probably. Uh, Conferences and, are rough. Oh, man. They are rough. Especially when you have me helping the, uh, direct the uh, hospitality suite. Whew. Bad nights. <laughs> or good nights, bad mornings. So so your yeah. transition from the military to teaching, was it pretty easy? I think it was um, for me. I enjoy teaching. Um, I did a little bit of instructor duty when I was in the military. Taught at uh, 18 Delta course when I was a medic. So did that like uh, teaching, you know, I've gotten into competitive shooting for last eight years, um, had some success pretty quick with that. And then using the practical training, like for my military job, you know, mm-hmm. pretty much we were exclusively using practical style shooting to train the shooting part um, and then have just gotten into it. And it's taken like on a mind of its own, mm-hmm. you know, I, I tell everybody that, wants to get into this practical way of training, especially competing. It's like, hey, man, welcome to the nightmare. It's <laughs> literally no payoff except for bragging rights. So does competing help to me think, I, with I, the fundamentals of shooting? I think I, I believe it does. Um, I think there's intangible things that you can't get when you're at your own range or with your own team training that you get from a match. Even club matches up to major matches, you you just can't get that kind of – pressure right that stress the stress of of having on demand right and i know there's there's been a um battle between kind of tactical shooters and competitive shooters you know for the over the years and and some uh mentalities that are like oh the competition stuff that's going to get you killed and right and it's really more about you're isolating the hard skills apart from your tactics Mm -hmm. right shooting shooting right how you whatever you introduce that into whether it's tactics, concealed carry, or everyday carry, or competition, You're like pulling the trigger is pulling the trigger. So coming from your background, you said around eight years ago you got into the competition side of it. What made you go, hmm, 
because like you said, there's the, the gamer aspect of it and the tactician side of it. And there's sometimes those worlds collide. Sometimes they don't get along. And then there's other guys that come in and go, Hey man, we can bridge this gap. Both of them have value. What made you see that and just where you came from and, and stuff? To be honest, it was, um, right off the bat, it was who the, who we were bringing in for mm-hmm. shooting training. Right. Right. When we would look to outside, um, entities for for training it was always competitive guys right isn't that funny world champions right (laughs) and and i always would equate that to like hey if we want to get good at shooting we're bringing in professional shooters right we want to get good at skydiving we're bringing in civilian skydivers and then you know drivers it was race car drivers Mm. and you're you're learning a hard skill right right and those guys come in with the most performance you know and then they're also doing this as their, their business is, is competing, mm-hmm. you know, the world champion, the guys that are actually getting paid to shoot matches and to compete. And they're the ones that are driving the training process, you know, um, taking the dry fire training to the next level, taking the processing part that you get from competitive shooting, which a lot of people don't realize, you know, working that out. Um, and then it's all based off of their performance, mm-hmm. you know, how they're, they're finishing in these really big matches, which right. I'll tell you, it's, I mean, it's it's very difficult to win a national level match or an area level match. Those guys are literally the best shooters in the country, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. on that day. And I don't think the balance of kind of speed and accuracy that that I always saw value in when I was in the military, um, they're the ones that are bringing that to the table. And you strip everything away from it, yeah. So you don't have that that tactical umbrella kind of hanging over your head, yeah. Um, because those guys aren't coming in and going, hey, well, this is how you actually clear a room this way. They're saying, hey, here's what you do with this gun. Go and do this. Yep. Um, Just and, learning a skill set. Yeah. Yeah. One they're of the best shooters or instructors in the in the country. Yeah. They're coming in. They're going to teach you how to run that tool the best, you know, make the bullets go where you want them to go as fast mm-hmm. as you can get them there. So who are some of those trainers that you're like, wow, that guy, man, really changed my perspective or I really took a lot from that to make me better at my craft. I think the, the two guys that have impacted me the most has, has been Ben Stugger. Uh-huh. Um, I shot the, got into shooting, you know, and shooting the same division he was. Um, but his way of training mm-hmm. and his mentality towards training and how he broke down the metrics of it. Like my brain works like similar that. ways. Right. And I like his delivery of it. Mm-hmm. Um, very easy to listen to. He's 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 a lot like a military guy where it's just no. If it's mm-hmm. bad, he's going to tell you it's bad. Right. You know. Right. Um, and then another guy was Jerry Michalek. Um, and the times that I got to shoot with him, it was the thing that I took away. He was always evolving. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I shot with him in in 2012, and then I shot with him again in 2013, it was a completely different way of training. Yeah. And he would always equate that to, he's like, Hey, I'm getting old and I still want to be beating these guys. He's like, I've got to change yeah, because my physicality's changed, you know, but everyone's getting better. Yeah. You know, everyone's putting in the work at that level. For that. Um, and he just kept figuring things out and then they'd come in and we typically get a week with those guys where that's all you did was shoot with them. Uh-huh. Um, How many rounds? Oh God. <laughs> For, with Ben, it wasn't uncommon to shoot a thousand to twelve hundred rounds a day for five days. Ooh. And then his his 
mentality of training and how it was kind of disconnected, right? It, it's not stand on the line mm-hmm. and shoot, and it's all resourced correctly. So we'd have multiple bays, multiple things set up and concepts and principles that we're working on. Mm-hmm. And then he would literally shoot with us and go through. And those guys are constantly working in that environment, giving each guy one-on-one time, wow. right? And then also showing showing you. And for me, the big uh, – one of the biggest things I took away was, you know, when you see it in real life, you see it and hear it and you want, you see the result, then it becomes possible. Mm-hmm. You can read it in a book, right? Oh, you could shoot a three and a half second El Prez. That mm-hmm. means nothing to you. Or it seems like it's impossible until you, you stand there and you watch a guy do it <laughs> a couple times in a row. And you're like, wow, like it's now I, <laughs> it, it becomes real to you. You know, yeah. it's like, Hey, I can, I, I I know that this is actually possible. Yeah. So before we dive into the podcast too deep here, what what motivated you to join the Navy? Honestly, um, I think I kind of joke about this sometimes. It's it's really like lack of options. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think it was, believe it or not. So I was on the verge of becoming a professional golfer. Really? When what? I was 17. Awesome. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So that's like a, that was a different uh, path yeah. than I thought you were going to Yeah. Yeah. That's what everyone says. I, yeah. um, I thought you go going professional So do you criminal. still play golf now? No, only I'll play in like charity events and like uh, things with work where, hey, let's go out and play yeah. a scramp. But no, I don't. You still get out. bored of shooting and say, hey, let's go grab a couple of buddies and go, go play golf and drink some beer. No. I mean, I have like on vacations and things like that or like when you're with guys like special occasions, but I'm, yeah. I'm definitely not putting any, it's more frustrating now. I mean, I like just going out into the, <laughs> into the woods and drinking beer. It's basically what I, how it's I a lot of golf right now. Yeah, me too. Me um, too. yeah. So that was, um, when I was 17, you know, I was graduated from high school and was working kind of odd jobs, was framing houses and trying to get this golf thing going. And as that was falling apart, I just, was realized like, Hey, I am not going to do well in college. <laughs> like I had like <laughs> kind of some self-awareness back then that dawned on me. Um, and it's funny. I was, I was sitting in a, in a bar at 17 years old in Oklahoma city. Oklahoma. This is why you're not going to do well at college. Just so you know, yes, this is a, and, uh, I was listening at Rick Derringer was playing at the split T bar in Oklahoma city. All right. That sounds like a cool. And I was place. sitting with one of my friends classy who graduated yeah. the same time I did. And I was just like, man, we're talking about who's having a party. And I was like, I can't do this. And I literally drove I was staying with my sister at the time, drove to her apartment, called my dad. I was like, I'm joining the military. Drove back to San Diego. And everyone that knew me back then was like, what are you talking about? Really? Yeah. And I, I went into the recruiters. Um, and I think I visited the Navy recruiter. It was something stupid, like a, a poster of two guys <laughs> who were probably Marines or SEALs or something coming out of the water with guns and scuba tanks. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I think that'll be good for me. And that's, that's honestly, that's how I was the Navy, like the first recruiting office you came to. Well, it was San living in San Diego, Diego. Yeah. Okay. It's Navy, yeah. you know, it's so that you're... and, uh, yeah. So I started that, um, went to all like the basic medical stuff, had some opportunities to, uh, get a lot of medical skill really early on and then found my way with the Marines 
and got into force recon hmm. um, and became back then what was called a SARC, a special amphibious reconnaissance corpsman. Hmm. And then I was a medic in the Navy for 17 years. Oh, wow. She did 17 years in the Navy. Yep. Decided just to get out and say, I'm going to go join the Army? Well, no, I started working for the Army um, at 13 years. Uh, and then it took me a while. I stayed in, in a job with the Army for, for a few years, and then it took a while to figure out what that transfer. I was a senior chief in the Navy, whenever I, which is kind of unheard of being a senior enlisted guy, um, but was able to work it out, transferred over to the Army. So. Okay. Tell everybody up front, yeah, I retired as a sergeant major from the Army, but I am the absolute worst Army guy <laughs> in the history of the Army. <laughs> I don't know anything about the Army. <laughs> well, kind of like college. At least, you're, at least yeah. you're honest. Yeah. Well, we don't know anything about podcasting or anything else, yeah. and we're still here, and, you know. You guys look, I mean, this is seems this is pretty professional setup. I like this. Yeah, yeah well, money can buy a lot. You know, you fake it till you make it, right? <laughs> exactly. That's right. Fake it till you make it. So I guess he's our second guest to have a uh, Marine and then go into the Army. Panone was the yeah, other Mike, guy. Yeah, uh, Mike, yeah, Panone was talking about doing that. Yeah, yeah, Mike was, so Mike was an actual Marine. I was a corpsman. Okay. So in the Marines, the medics for the Marines or the Navy are Navy okay. corpsmen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a, like a huge history with that and then pretty extensive history of the recon corpsman for that yeah, okay. being with these uh recon so units how was that transition to doing what you were doing to where you finally ended up to me it was it was everything that i wanted i was getting into a part of the navy um where i was going to start stop being operational and kind of get into what i would call executive medicine mm -hmm. like leadership roles and running other groups of um of yeah. Recon or MARSOC type corpsman. Okay. Um, and I, I didn't want that. I wanted to stay in the gun culture life. Do all that. And then was able to do that. Um, and then ended up, I did actual nine years of Army time and then another three years on top of that okay. uh, when I was in the Navy. For that. Working with the Army. Hmm. Interesting. So, do, so when you go in the Army, do you get like ribbed for having a Navy background and shit? No, I did not. So my, my army transition was, um, had done all of this work on the front side with recruiters. Uh, -huh. uh the unit I was with found a recruiter that could, um, make this transition happen. And there's no such thing as an inner service transfer. Yeah. Like I got the Navy, um, to release me on one date. And then once that date was set, had it all set up for the army to pull me into the army. So I met, the bus at MEPS at four in the morning <laughs> and went in. It was uh, January 31st, uh -huh. 2013. And went in, did the, like an abbreviated, I had already done my physical and went through the whole little process, but it was pretty quick. So not boot camp, right? No, did a swearing in process, drove back down to the guys I worked with. Um, and that was my transition to the army. Wow. So I had That's awesome. <laughs> I had some army courses that I'd already went to in the Navy. Uh -huh. So before when I was setting this up, I did a lot of like meetings and actually did a board with like all of the key sergeant majors that are in the SF branch uh, okay. and got them to agree to accept me hmm. into the into their career field. Oh wow. Yeah, and um then I just The rest is history. Then yeah. Yeah. Dude, I I 
I'm still blown away from the I almost became a professional golfer. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, a weird route to take. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I played, my dad got me into golf when I was little, liked it, played a lot of competitive stuff. Actually played, man, I, what year was it? I don't know, 90, maybe 90, uh-huh. Optimus Junior World and played with Tiger Woods. Really? Yeah. We're wow. the same age. And in that, in those circles at the time, it was called AJGA. I think the American Junior Golf Association was like a whole tour for that of all of these tournaments all over the country. Um, and at that time, I was going to school to high school in Oklahoma, and um, golf was big for that. I, I liked it, and then that's awesome, dude. Yeah. Well, you're our first guest to yeah. compete against Tiger to Woods. go from to go from golf to yeah special uh, special operations I'll caveat the that there was no competing <laughs> yeah because you the same because yeah, you won right you yeah, totally we, kicked his yeah, ass we were in the same tournament <laughs> you totally kicked his ass right totally not <laughs> i remember like here we are like the same age and and even at then when he was 16 like everyone knew yeah there, no i think we we're 15 14 or 15 everybody knew who tiger woods was watching him hit balls at Torrey Pines. Yeah. And it's like you're starstruck yeah. by a kid that's like six months younger. Or Some kids older just have it, wow. man. Some guys just have that natural ability, man. I'll tell you. Yeah. He worked his ass off too, but oh, there's I, a lot of a lot of natural ability. A hundred percent, I think, working it off. And I think honestly, like what I did in golf, um, you know, practicing because so much of golf for me was, you know, I didn't have like a coach or my dad taught me how to play golf. And a lot of it was through personal discovery. And I would get lessons from time to time mm-hmm. um, from some very good players, uh, professional players in Oklahoma and swing, uh, swing tweaks and things like that. But all of it was came down to like you working with yourself yep. and then objectively assessing what you're doing, what your body's doing and making those corrections and then just putting in the time. Same thing with shooting, right? It's 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 very similar, and it and just like shooting, uh, that shit starts to dominate your life. <laughs> Absolutely, it does. Because you, you play golf too. You play golf, you're going to yep. go out buy all these clubs and yep. do all this and go practice and this, yep. and you get into shooting. Shit, next thing you know, you're buying guns, you're buying holsters, you're buying gear, and now we're talking about ammo. Jeez. Both expensive sports. Yeah, you learn you learn really quick, like in the golf world, like you're not going to buy strokes with equipment. <laughs> so back to the competition shooting, right? You said it helps to learn from those guys. Yep. But you can't be a new shooter and jump into the competition because your fundamentals aren't there, right? You can be. That's the thing about, especially if you look at USPSA, I mean, you know, there's classifications in USPSA. There, there are people that get like basic safety training you know, with guns at ranges and then they go and shoot a match. And that's, that's their kind of intro into shooting. And then as you shoot matches, you know, you first and foremost, you've got to be safe. You've got to understand the safety requirements. USPSA is very stringent on safety rules and things like that Mm -hmm. much more. It'd probably be very similar at what I would imagine to like, Police academy type training for that. Yeah, you know, one eighty rule. Guns all when you're not shooting, guns always unloaded. Mm-hmm. Right, it's not a hot range. Um, but there are guys that, girls, kids. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the things. You th- there's a lot of guys in that tactical world that, that I think don't compete because they don't want to be racked and stacked. Yeah, 
because it is a huge blow to your ego going out on a Saturday and getting dusted by a 15 year old girl. <laughs> yeah. I but, can imagine. I mean, there are some junior shooters that are phenomenal world-class shooters. Yeah. And where I live in North Carolina, you know, that area is called area six. I mean, mm-hmm. there you can go to any club match and run into some of the best shooters in the country. Wow. You know, that are just out there shooting a, a level level one club match. But it's a skill. It is a skill. It's a skill. So that 15-year-old girl is probably not going to be knocking down doors and running through houses and doing HRs and stuff like that, but her skill set on the pistol is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's not – there is no – you know, the – I think where the transfer is, like, to – for gun professionals and guys that carry guns for a living, it's just the shooting part. Yeah. Right? There is to – you know, I hear a, a thing a lot where um, I say, man, that's that's a game and it doesn't matter. You know where all the targets are. But every in my classes, when I'll set up stages, guys with 15 years on SWAT teams and they look at all the targets, give you five minutes, come up with a stage plan. And as soon as that timer goes off, they just dump everything they're supposed to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there is that part of competitive shooting that is pro it's a it's a processing and a programming yeah. thing and then as you get into your own training and you start developing really good foundational skills i'll say you're over developing them then it becomes on the match side it's programming what you want to do and then sequencing a number of skills together mm-hmm. which actually is a lot of what like tactical mm-hmm. problems are yeah it's not Nothing's ever going to be perfect. It's not going to be, oh, I've seen this one t- thing before. You know, you take mm-hmm. a situation at face value, and then your success in that situation is how fast you can sequence skills together yeah. and solve the problem. Yeah. And that's basically, in my opinion, that's shooting a stage. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest things. So every year, our organization puts a, a statewide uh, SWAT competition. So it's, snipers involved team element and there's all type of different things you, you don't know what the course is for the most part so you get out there and they brief you, you get a minute to ask questions and then hey all right get in line your team go and i think i think this is like my 13th year to compete and i always go back to the younger guys and say hey man that's been a solid core foundation to, for me to get better in my career because it's under pressure it doesn't count as far as it's not life or death, but it is pressure, peer pressure. You wanted to compete. But like you said, you're taking the tactics of like game. We, we game stuff all the time in SWAT. I mean, in, in, in your world too. I mean, if you can take this angle as opposed to this angle, that's gaming. If that's a better angle, then you better do that. Or if they don't say, hey, they didn't say you couldn't do this, then we're going to do that. And I think that's that that part of just getting better and it yeah. makes your job better. Uh, I, I – I love the competition. Just not even just the shooting part alone, but just the thinking part of the of the of that whole process is is, is always huge for me to just to go back and go, oh yeah, yeah, I overthought this, or man, if we just slow down this, or just change this, it makes you better. I like it. Uh, you know, shooting shooting matches too for me at this point drives a lot of like areas of my training mm-hmm. um, because you're going to go there. There's there's no arguing. You know, you, it's demonstrable performance. You've got one run per stage. Mm-hmm. Everyone's watching. Execute your plan. And then it shows, you know, based off of the courses, you can look at everything. Yeah. You can see that, you know, someone 
the way they score it all now is in a in a app called Practice Score. So you will get a ton of data off of a you know six to nine stage club match. You're gonna how many alphas you hit, how many penalties, how many Charlies, mm-hmm. how many deltas, misses, right, and then times, and it's all figured out in hit factor. Yeah. Um, and that so you, so you base your training off the information that you get back from the match. I don't I don't solely base it off that, but it's definitely a fact. It shows where holes in your competitive game are, which are basically holes in your shooting game. Mm-hmm. Right? You can be you can go to a match and if you're shooting the division that I made grandmaster in was production division, you can go and and shoot, you know, 95% alphas, but the the guy that beat you, the guy that won your division was 25 seconds faster than you. So now you've got to learn how to balance that speed versus accuracy, right? Um, so he could win 25 seconds faster, maybe have some Charlie hits in there. Yeah, and have a lot of Charlie hits. Yeah, the way that it's a balance of speed and accuracy, and that's what practical shooting, like action sport shooting, right? Um, that's scored in that hit factor way is about balancing the speed and accuracy. That. And the in production division, I like, you know, it's it's limited by equipment. You know, you can only have ten rounds in a magazine, so you're going to have more gun handling mm-hmm. than most other divisions in it. I shoot Glocks. You know, I shoot a relatively stock gun. When I made GM, I was shooting my work gun Glock mm-hmm. 35 and just shot minor power factor ammo. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it shows you is is balancing that speed and accuracy. And in that division, right, you're not going to you're not going to get away shooting deltas or having misses or taking a lot of penalties. Mm-hmm. So you learn how to balance it. And, and kind of, for me, it was an eye opener, you know, going through kind of my basic training stuff, basic level, like operator training. It was, they were scoring everything in hit factor. Mm-hmm. And that was such a foreign thing to me. I'd never even heard of it mm-hmm. back in, in, you know, in 2009, I'm like, what is hit factor? And as you get the explanation, in my opinion, that's how um, guys that gunfight should score it. It's basically points per second, mm-hmm. right? And the you use it too, points per second, but it can also be, it's really talking about energy transfer to the target. If the alpha represents five, you know, five points or an energy level of five, and mm-hmm. the Charlie represents, you know, three points or energy of three, mm-hmm. you can start to see, like, there's a lot of times, as you guys have probably seen in, tactical situation like hey maybe charlie alpha really fast is a lot better than two alpha kind of slow slow yeah and i think from the law enforcement world or the the gunfighting world it's when you're doing everything right you're in a situation starts you're behind absolutely for sure right you are all you're reacting almost all the time and now concepts that that practical shooting will teach you like learning how to steal time Right. Where do I get that time back from to get ahead, to actually win and come out ahead in this? Yeah. So when you started shooting the 25 seconds with a couple Charlie hits versus all alpha hits, did that screw with your mind because of like where you came from and like the standard that you were held to, to hundred percent. It does. Yeah. You have to, yep. You, yes, it does because you, you want to shoot it perfect. Yeah. And then, my mindset was originally, well, I just want to shoot all the points. Like if, if you take classifiers, which are like kind of stand and shoot drills, right? And they're historic drills. There's a lot of them. I mean, there's probably over a hundred of them. But, 
you stand and shoot, and it's measured against historical hit factors, what's called a high hit factor. Mm-hmm. And the high hit factor represents the the highest score ever shot on that drill in a um, major match. So you see what all the world-class guys are doing. And for me, it was always like I would try to calculate hit factors early on, like, hey, I'll just shoot all the points. How fast do I have to do that to get to that high hit factor? Mm -hmm. And that kind of drove my training. And you see, like, that's borderline impossible to do. Yeah. So you, you, you're going to have to inject some more speed, a little bit more performance into it. And usually in the form of not shooting gun handling stuff, movement stuff, and then shoot points. Right. And you're, you're getting to what's acceptable, you know, acceptable sight picture, acceptable aiming schemes for that target, that target distance and that target difficulty. So it always screwed me up with these matches, man. I've shot like one or two matches, and I don't know what organization. It was just like a local gun club, and I was like, yeah, fuck, I'll do it. I'll try it, right? The course of fire is so fucking confusing. It's like you're shooting targets over here, then you're running to this box, and you're shooting there, and then you're turning around, and you're shooting over here, and you're doing all this stuff, and then you're laying here, shooting underneath. I'm like, there's no rhyme or reason to <laughs> do any of this. There it No, there for, you know, for kind of field courses like that, there isn't any right. It's variety. Yeah. Right. And you can, you'll go to some stages where, Hey, they might be like what's called a hoser stage. A lot of, a lot of really close targets, right? Not a lot of movement or medium level of movement. And then other ones are really long and drawn out and targets can be farther. And it's teaching you one, how to, how to plan and program a plan into you. And you have a limited amount of time to do it. So you have time to plan that stage, right? So like you do like your mental walkthrough or, yep, or whatever. Yep. It's like, I'm going to do this, this, this. Yeah, typically you get five minutes to walk through it and kind of air gun the stage. Okay, I'm going to run over here, shoot these three targets, reload, come over here. And then you're trying to to get in the point where you're, you're doing multiple things at one time, right? It's always yeah. going to be better for me to reload while I'm moving rather than to have a standing Stand. reload. Because you're just giving time back. Well, because in reality, you're never going to reload standing unless you're behind cover. Right. So it's it's working skills that you're that you're there's a little bit of pressure, you know. But as the kind of the the size and scope of the match it becomes a major match or a national level match, that pressure that you apply to yourself, you know, you've put a lot of time into training, a lot of resources in the form of ammo, yeah. you know, and equipment, and then. You go there, there's usually flights and hotels involved, and you've got, if it's a 20-stage match, right, you've got 20 runs to show where your actual shooting capability is on that day. So how long did it take you to get up to that grandmaster level to actually start excelling? You're like, okay, I, I got this. I can I can grow. <laughs> so, so I made GM pretty fast, um, and I was putting in a lot of work, but I made GM through classifiers shooting matches that had classifiers in it Uh and you shoot a certain percentage of the high hit factor right and for gm it's 95 percent or above and the the scoring becomes pretty complicated right you get your first four scores gives you initial classification and for me i initially classified as an a-class shooter and then four more scores and i was a gm um and i was i was kind of looking at uspsa wrong Uh I would had to go, Hey, I want to be a GM. I want to get into this. And I was tapping a lot of guys. I was hitting Ben Stugger up a lot, you know, 
going out, shooting with him, asking questions, trying to figure this out. Right. Um, then once I made GM, I thought, oh, great. And that's, for me, honestly, that's where the real work started. Because I was not paying attention to a lot of other skills. Once you make it, can you lose it? You can. No, you're not going to lose the rating, but your percentage you drop in the in the level of the grandmaster. So I'll always be a GM, but like if my average were to fall between below ninety five percent, then I'm basically still have a GM rating, but my percentage score is lower. So if a if an if an officer is at a department and all they do is yearly qualifications, maybe an eight hour training day where they just stand online, punch holes in papers, call it quits, and then they move on to something else. You say going out and just shooting these matches will make these guys better, help these guys. At shooting, it will. Mm-hmm. It'll it'll definitely be. Now, if that's all he does and he goes and just hopefully to go and shoot a match and, and get into some level of competitive shooting, whether it's IDPA or USPSA, it's um, it drives him personally to want to get better. To get better, yeah. Because yeah. it's going to come down to him, right? The department's not going to give him no mountains of ammo to train you know a lot of this is done through dry fire yeah dry fire training and then the time when you are shooting now you're checking what you did in dry fire and then trying to build on new skills yeah but but for me what it did too is it it changed the way that i was training Mm -hmm. with rifle and pistol Mm -hmm. you know it became more of a practical approach a balance of speed and accuracy it was more trying to put as much horsepower in to my shooting as I could and get the best results that I could get and balancing that speed and yeah. accuracy. Yeah. Hey, so back to the dry fire, man, I'm sorry. So I try to tell guys all the time, dry fire is a legit thing, right? And the younger guys that are in depth on social media that see all the cool guys doing all the cool guy shit. Not one time do they see these guys on Instagram work a dry fire drill, right? And you're rolling your eyes. Cause you know, I like, like where I'm going with this yep. dry fire is important. Matt does a great, uh, it is great one on his Instagram account of, of dry, how to do it. And it's really good. I, I'm glad you did that. It is. Yeah. It's there. It learning how to dry fire is a whole skill in itself. Yeah. Right. And I think learning how to do it correctly is that was the biggest thing. And I, I had the opera. I mean, I had access to some really good shooters right. that I worked with and, you know, text and phone calls with professional shooters to ask yeah. to solve these questions yeah. um to kind of just make my learning curve as steep as i could make it yeah. um can you explain it so so for me dry firing um once i kind of got what i was doing for me the the dry fire was the pace that i dry fired at was as fast as i could physically go to see what i needed to see are you cycling the gun or using one of those reset mags or what are you no. doing with that? So for me, um, I started off just one trigger pull and then pulling a dead trigger. Mm-hmm. And then I started putting a little piece of a rubber band folded up in the breech of my Glock. So the trigger would actually move. Mm-hmm. So that way I didn't, I don't have the same trigger pull weight, but I have the same distance of the throw. Yeah. And then that's how I'll dry fire now. Um, and for me, it was, it was all driven around. Like I told you, man, I have seven kids. It was like capturing time. (laughs) You know, I would dry fire. Uh, I dry fired when I cooked, I would set targets up in the kitchen. I'd come home from work. I'd be like, Hey, I'm going to, I'll cook dinner. 
And, I'll dry and that was when I would dry fire. Right. You know, if I was grilling, I'd have targets out, little scaled targets. And that's when I would capture, you know, a 30 minute, a 40 minute session, or I'd get up really early and go do it before work um, or something like that. And um, so for the dry firing piece of it, kind of, I put it down to the, the takeaway has to be, you want to be able to see, you know, you're checking the fundamentals, right? Is your grip solid, mm-hmm. right? It's, if, it, if it's not solid, when there's no recoil, you, the grip's going to fall apart. Right. You know what I mean? So focusing on that grip pressure, focus, focusing on hand speed. But the visual part of it was I wanted to see the sight picture that I needed based off the target distance or difficulty mm-hmm. and see that as fast as I could. So I never really raced part-times. Like I wouldn't set like an arbitrary part to, Oh, I want to, I want to do this drill in three seconds. Right. And then the, and what I see a lot of guys doing, especially on, on the grams is <laughs> the grams. They're, um, they're focusing on beating that part time mm. and you can watch what they're doing. Like you're not seeing anything. Mm. If you are, you're world-class, mm. but you can look at them like the gun's not even up to the eye target line. And there is an element of, hand speed that you've got to check, you know, with gun handling and drawing and things like that. But, but really what, what separates it, the shooting part is getting to the confirmation level that you need for that target faster. Yeah. And that's where you get learning how to process what's going on with the sights while you're pulling that, just the trigger, you know, the dead trigger, Mm -hmm. what are those sights doing while it's happening and not after the fact? Yeah. Yeah. You, you did one other day, I guess you got some new mags or something and you, you had a time and you weren't able to get it, but you still posted that on your social media platform. And I thought that that's a really good thing. Like, yeah, like that, people need to see professionals are, are practicing and they fuck it up. Sometimes. No one shoots a hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent of the time. And it's so. dry fire, but yet there's still mess ups. Why do you think he's still doing it? I, I thought, I, I really do appreciate that you kept it up there and it wasn't like, Hey, you're never going to see the flaws in me. Cause I'm above approach. So I'm yeah. only going to give you about, and I'll tell stuff. you what the, the one guy that's kind of, there was a time and it was about probably 18 months ago, year and a half ago. Um, talking to, I was talking to Ben Stugger and I was like, I'm, I'm fucking done with social media. Mm-hmm. And I was like, do you think that's a bad decision to get rid of it? He mm-hmm. was like, absolutely. You cannot get rid of it. No, you can't it's, now. You, for business. You have to have it. Yeah. Um, and it's been that kind of like, and I, I went back and forth. I was like, I don't need this shit, you know? Yeah. And, and I always kind of wanted extra alpha to be like the Jim Jones of shooting and not the CrossFit of shooting. <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe it's not for everyone. Yeah. Right. Um, but uh, I kept with it. But the one thing, you know, shot had the opportunity to shoot with him quite a bit. And it was, yeah, I'll go out. I get it. You've got to got to put something out. I want the content to be most of the stuff I put out is is more funny and not serious. And yeah. I've started to get a little bit more, um, you know, pointed in the training part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. I'll go films if, hey, this is what I want to do, and I'll try to do it, whether it be the first or second run mm-hmm. or something that I'm working on that I think someone might be interested in, um, and I'll film it, and whatever it is, that's what it is. Yeah. Because um, the one thing I don't want to have happen is 
you're not going to come shoot with me and I'm going to shoot differently than what you see right. on social. I mean, I've made, I've made plenty of mistakes yeah. starting to teach. <laughs> you think shooting a match or, or, or any, any target I've ever been on is nowhere near as stressful as standing demos <laughs> doing a demo in front of 15 cops with, yeah. 30 yeah. sets of judgy eyes looking at you. Well, yeah. Well, well, first, off, yeah. first off, uh, yeah. we're not judgy, <laughs> right? We just want to make sure that we're getting the, the best bang for the buck. And if you can't shoot the drill that you're trying to get us to shoot, then I want somebody else. Yeah. yeah. Hey, and I'll tell you what, man, I, I am a believer. In, you've got to, I, I, I need to see it. Yeah. Right. You can only tell me so many times. It's like, show me. Yeah. And then if it's, if it's something new, it's, it's, I'll be I'll be the first one to assess myself like I absolutely can't do that. Yeah. There are some good guys that shooters um guys that are super interesting to me um that weren't male, weren't law enforcement, aren't professional shooters on the competitive side and mm-hmm. just doing some over the top stuff mm-hmm. shooting. Yeah. Shooting wise and very straightforward with it um there's a guy uh Spartan NC. Like, I've never met this dude. Yeah, I've, I've, I think I follow him. I've sent uh, messages to him, you know. He's pretty good friends with the guy I shoot with a lot, or they know each other through matches. And you just watch him, and it's like, dude, that's – he's doing some crazy stuff, yeah. rifle and pistol. Yeah. You know, um, for no other reason, I think, you know, he runs a, a company, but it's – he's driven to get better at it. Mm-hmm. And guys like that is what's interests me. Right. You know, it's not, not the dude that, that comes to a class that he was kind of voluntold yeah. <laughs> to go here. Yeah, those are, And I understand guys are spending money, yeah. you know, they're spe- you're spending ammo to come do it. I want it to be yeah. um, valuable, you know, on the, on the shooting side. Oh, for sure. And I think, I think that probably comes back to your <clears throat> kind of mindset too, when you started competing in these, in these events and stuff, because you have your your background, and then if you get beat by a fifteen year old girl, you're like, "Well, shit, man!" You know, there's some humbleness that has to go a- along with that. And you're because same thing with a SWAT guy. Oh, well, you're a SWAT guy, so you know how to shoot. No, not every SWAT guy knows how to shoot. And even though you're a SWAT guy, you still are not the best. And there still have bad days and all this kind of shit. And some, you know, big bubba in his beer belly who you know bells hail for his job, but he knows how to shoot. He, he beats you. You're like, Oh shit, man, I just got beat by this guy. But reality, Hey man, he, he outshot me that day. Oh yeah. It's, and I, it's hard, it's hard to take that. Sometimes. I've had conversations with guys like, so what do you do for a living? Like, are you like a cop? They're like, no, I'm like an IT guy. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Like, how yeah. in the fuck did you get so good at shooting? Yeah. Like yeah. YouTube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Call of duty. <laughs> yeah. It, so for me, it's been good. Like that drive, you know, obviously, wanting to kind of set like goals for yourself and Hey, this is what I want to do, Yeah, you know? And, and for me, I read stuff. Like I always want to try to mm-hmm. be the best at whatever, if I'm going to commit time to it, I think that's like the most valuable thing that I have, yeah. you know, I'm always running out of it. So I think that's the important thing. Time, yeah, yeah. time to do it. And people always give <laughs> excuses. Like I don't have time to do it. Dude, you got seven kids. You're running around, you're doing your thing. If you can find time to drive fires, you're grilling or freaking cooking an omelet in the morning, that's time. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man, guys that send me send me a video or ask me a question, I've I've probably fifty times 
They send me a question. I'll run out my driveway, have my wife hold my phone, and make them in a video. <laughs> hey, this is what I think from yeah. dry fire and stuff. I had the first courses I did. I had guys that were like, "Hey, I'm kind of worried to come take your course." Yeah, and I, what I was like, "Oh, you know, it's not a basic level course in the sense that I'm not going to teach you how to load and unload your gun." Right. Like we're going to start shooting at eight in the morning. Very little talking. We're not going to. There's not going to be story time with Matt. You know, we're going to, we're here to shoot. Yeah. Um, and a couple guys were like, man, I don't know. And I made like a series of four dry fire videos mm -hmm. of what I thought was important. Yeah. You know, proper index, indexing from transition, indexing from the draw, and then um, reloading, mm -hmm. you know, and gun handling stuff. And I was like, if you do this, if you do 10 minutes a day of this, of just these skills. Yeah. Right. And I broke it down. You know, you're going to get pressing the trigger straight back to the rear against a white wall. Mm -hmm. Right. And I did. I was like, you can get like I just got 60 reps in 90 seconds. Yeah. Don't tell me you can't capture 90 seconds of your day. Right. Right. And for me, that's how I learned how to set my own training up was I had to steal time. Yeah. Right. And there were days where I didn't want to get in it. In addition to you got to go to the gym, you got to work out. Yeah, right? You got to. Yeah. Like, got to do actual right real training yeah and i was having to do the i was doing the practical stuff i wanted to do all after hours um and then dry firing whenever i could fit it in and for me the way that my mind works and my attention or lack of attention it was i'm better off at doing four 10 minute sessions or yeah. five to 10 minutes rather than one 40 minute session yeah Oh, you mean like broken up, broken throughout up the day? throughout the yeah. day. I'm like that too. Yeah. And ideally as I'm, I'm trying to switch to a different, a different division, you know, I'm shooting a lot more optic stuff and I'm, for me, it's like, I'll, if I can get three 15 minute sessions to me, that it's a lot of work mm -hmm. yep. in the days that I'm not shooting live. I do that. So let's get back to you training us judgy eyed cops. I, I mean, I think you're taking that the wrong way. I mean, no, no, I'm just, <laughs> I'm messing with you. Um, what, so me, uh, at my agency, um, I'm on the range, I'm a range instructor. What, what are you seeing as a, uh, as a failure or deficiency in some law enforcement guys when it comes to gun handling and marksmanship, just the fundamentals? And <clears throat> I think there's, there's a lot of guys that are, that are taxed with like, Hey, you're the instructor. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, experience driven you've been here you've been doing this for a long time right and there's a difference in my opinion between experience and currency mm -hmm. there are a lot of very experienced guys right um that aren't very current at right. shooting right right or or they're you teach the same thing and it becomes it's a lot of creep and the way that that mass teaching is where you know my opinion like a lot of people don't realize like the Line in 30 guys up, right, in the five-position draw. Mm -hmm. Like, that comes from a place where you can train a large number of people in safe gun handling, right, right? but you can watch it all. Mm -hmm. It's very regimented. And you can see who's not doing it right, and then you fix it. You fix um, lapses in that, that fundamental while it's happening, but it's very easy to watch the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Rather than, you know, I think in that, everybody's going to kind of draw the pistol a little bit different. Yeah. You know, there's no doubt that Just because of body mechanics and frame and size yeah. and hands and hand sight. You know, yeah. 
Yeah. Twitch, you know, fast, how fast you can move your hands. Right. You know, and then also th- concepts that you are able to internalize correct that you might not be able. Some people cannot get a five position draw, mm. but, you know, they're better off of, I think, you know, the fastest draw is as soon as the holster comes out of the pistol, it moves straight up to the eye target line. Mm. Yeah. Whatever that route is that's comfortable for you so you can get it up to the eye target line you know, index correctly where the sights show up or the dot shows up relatively aligned or on what you're looking yeah, at. Yeah. That's, that's what you've got to drill down. Right. You see it a lot with, with grip too. Um, guys are like, I, we, all three of us shooting the exact same gun are going to have three different grips. Mm-hmm. There's principles that we can't violate, right. but I can't teach you my grip. Yeah. I mean, your hands are huge. My hands are little. Yeah. Right. But, but there's principles and concepts that we can't violate those. And then there's other ones that we can bend. Yeah. Um, now from, to answer your question from the, the law enforcement instructor side, I think there's gotta be a lot of like personal development, personal discovery going on with instructors that make you a better instructor or otherwise you're just regurgitating. Like always learning, changing. Like you talked about, uh, I think at lunch, we're talking about changing your, uh, your, you're growing as an individual because you're learning different experiences and you're using that with your knowledge that base that you have now. Yeah. And, And I think that's one of the, one of the passions that Derek and I had for like this podcast and while we were in our organization is because we're getting down to talk with you tomorrow. I'm going to be training with you for the, for two days. So I want to take what you've learned from all these other instructors, your personal experience. I want to take some of that stuff and then I'm going to put it together with the, when I start teaching guys, just to add to everything that I have been exposed to. Kind of like when we talked about TTPO, we don't have one guy we could use for CQB, one guy we use for rifle. We have a, a conglomeration of guys coming in. So you have a lot of knowledge base and, and one guy might say something that the other guy's saying, but they say it differently. And you're like, oh, I'm, I relate more to that guy. Not that this guy's a worse yeah. instructor. It's just hmm, me and him click because we're on the same kind of wavelength of, of thinking. And that's what I think is so good about this podcast and our organization is bringing people in to get that experience to go, hey, I want to I draw from what you've learned. I want to put it in my mind and, and use that and stuff because we're we're not all we're not all robots you can get yeah. someone from your same background and sit here and you could have the same conversation and they would give me a little bit of twist a little different twist on the yeah. way they've yeah. done things yeah Just and it is yeah and it, yeah i agree with that and it's it's not that anyone is is right or wrong right. Like I tell, hey this is my view yeah of shooting and it it comes from the experience that i have building the skill that i have uh-huh Right. And I'll tell everybody, hey, if you shoot with me, you know, August 9th and 10th of 2021, yeah. I'm going to be a different shooter in August of 2022. Yeah. Because I'm going to develop, I'm growing. going to keep getting better, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe you catch me at a time when I'm regressing. Right. But this was the night before. <laughs> the night before <laughs> yeah, has a lot yeah. to do with that. Yeah, Are that, you that, hydrated? That but, does have a lot to do with but it. But I think that's good. So in the, in the position that I'm in, I'm a very just, very fortunate in, in what I have in, in, in TTPOA. I get a lot of guys come in and out in training. And like you said, I have trained with guys three years ago and every year when they come back and train or the couple times, I'll go through that class or I sit in the class to set it up and I'll listen. And I'm like, 
damn, they didn't say that the last time they were here. Wow, I've never heard that before. Every time I keep learning new things, and, and I like that. I don't want to go to a class. Well, shit, that's the same regurgitation every single time, every single time. Yeah. That's that's no good for, for anyone. Yeah, um, no, it – yeah, it's good to hear all the different explanations. You know, it's funny. I'm, I've talked to some guys. Like, I need to start. So I've never taken anyone's class. Okay. Ever. Uh-huh. It's just I've trained with a lot of people, but it was all people that we brought in. Yeah. You know, and I think that's something I got to figure out how to capture time to, like, go actually attend mm-hmm. a class mm-hmm. as a student just yeah. to see – because I'm, I don't know. If I think I, you have to go somewhere where no one knows you or knows your background or your experience and go and sign up for a class because, dude, you're going to intimidate whoever the fuck is up there teaching you. <laughs> well, not necessarily. Yep. I know Mike Pannone took your class, didn't he? Yep. Yeah, yep, he did. And I know he takes a bunch of classes. Uh, I know I know some other trainers that go around and, and take classes and stuff like that. And I respect the guys that do that. I think oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, oh, absolutely. I, I do too, but like just looking at like as an instructor, I'd be like, shit, man, how about judgy? I'm like, fuck, is he, is he, I mean, he's looking at me with that weird eye. Is he, is he believing what I'm saying or is he think I'm full of shit or is he like, want to go somewhere else? Or like, you know, you're just like, oh, fuck. That, I think I, I think I wore Mike out in Arizona because I was like, you know, they go back and load and then we're having a lot of yeah. sidebar conversations and I'm like, does that make sense? Yeah. Like, Cause I was, you start to say things the same, you know, he would right. do the or, same thing with us. Cause he would yeah. like, we took his class and he was talking, he goes off the side. He's like, did I tell you guys this or did that make sense? And we're like, yeah, yeah. You told us that, but you didn't tell us that. He's like, oh, it must be the other class that I taught. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And I'll tell you the classes that I run are not like, none of it is scripted. Yeah. It's not like, Hey, we're doing this and then this and then this. Right. So we'll, every class, I, like, Within the first 15 minutes, we're going to be shooting a die. I want to see kind of how everyone shoots, how comfortable they are mm-hmm. moving around with the gun. And then I kind of have each day, like, this is where we're going to start. And this is like my desired endpoint. Yeah. Cause I kind of feel like I was, I was putting information that I thought was good into classes, but it were, it was things that I was working on that were like one of them with predictive shooting that just wasn't, I ended up taking it out because it's, mm-hmm. I don't think it's, it's the way for honestly for law enforcement to shoot. Right. Uh, so, so for me in law enforcement, the way that I teach is kind of like the way you're talking about is I have a topic that I want to cover and I have, uh, um, drills that can, you know, reach that topic, but there's no, there's no script. It's like, I yeah. got, you know, cause I got to see who's in the class. I got to see yep. skill sets. And, uh, you know, even when I do like big department training for my department, it's the same way. It's the same topic, but depending on who's in the class, I may go about it a little bit different or teach it a little bit different, but they're getting the same knowledge. It's just not the same verbiage for every class or the same yeah. drill or the same. Yeah. And I, I like the, the variety of the drills and it's, you know, you can shoot, you know, if you're doing transition, you can set up one transition drill. That's probably more of a mechanical transition drill rather than a visual. And, and guys, you you start to see like a diminishing return. It's like, okay, let's move on to something else. And then maybe we're going to come back to a different transition drill mm-hmm. or something to drive that point home. Um, because too, I know, I know when I'm, I get bored 
quick. So if if I when I'm training with guys and uh, it's like, yeah, I got it. Let's let's move on. Yeah, let's go to something else. And I try to always gauge, hey, what is the demeanor of it? You know, mm-hmm. um, are guys shooting enough? Are they shooting too much? Like you know, I was initially I would come in to classes and like, hey, we would shoot. Mm-hmm. I mean, carving pistol class, I was shooting fifteen hundred rounds of <laughs> of pistol and fifteen hundred rounds of rifle, and guys were wore out. Yeah. Yeah. After it. And I was like, hey, I just want you to get the most money. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, right. I want to get all of this stuff out to you yeah. and get the volume up, you know, and good reps and good, good training. Um, and then having guys like Mike take mm-hmm. my class. I had Ben take a carb, a three day carving pistol class. And they're like, Hey, I would do this in the format. So they're giving you feedback. Yeah. yeah. Just, and I, yeah. and I want to hear, I mean, even guys like, I, yeah, obviously I, I would love it if somebody said it right as it happened or after the, you know, right. in front of everyone, but I'll get emails like, Hey, that didn't make sense. Or what, yeah. what was this? Hey, I don't think we did enough of this, mm-hmm. you know? And that's kind of how I got to where like taking the predictive shooting out mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, have molded it over the last, you know, since 2019. Yeah. Um, but it's constantly changing. And then as I'm getting better, there's some things that I think, are dropping off. You know, I know when I'll do a carving pistol format for two days, I absolutely don't talk uh, about reloads with the pistol, mm-hmm. especially when we're dealing with primary and secondary gun. Yeah. You know, there, there is a, a need for that. You know, we'll talk about dry fire training where they have to go towards the end. But a lot of the times what I see with gun handling is the gun handling that you showed up to the range with is what you're going to leave with. Yeah. So we can spend an hour doing rifle reloads, <laughs> you know, but if you haven't dry fired rifle reloads, then you're, you're not getting, I give you the concepts. Hey, we're going to do some reps. Now we're going to focus on the shooting part. Right. Right. And that the gun handling, you've got to go do that in dry. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Now we have yet to have someone come on the, the show who, trains that doesn't practice dry fire and doesn't take above and beyond just no, I, this is my work schedule and this is only the hours they're always putting extra time in and, and i think that's what we always want to drive home to the guys that are listening especially the young swat guys yep. or the young police officer that's listening that this shit you just you're not just gifted with this and you just all of a sudden wake up and I can do all this shit. There's a lot of time and effort. In I know, man. But when you tell them, hey, I need you guys, I'm going to give you homework tonight, especially if you teach like a like a basic firearms class at the academy. Yeah. Tonight, you guys have homework. Homework is, I want, you know, I usually say 10 to 15 good, solid dry fires. And I go over what I consider a good, solid dry fire. And if you get to nine and your goal's 10 and you fuck up on nine, you're taking a break and you're starting that over again. I want yep. 10 consistent, whatever. And you can see them. They're all just like, fuck. <laughs> can't believe this dude's giving me fucking homework. I'm not doing that. And they like, you know, I mean, you can just tell like body language. They're like, I'm not doing it. And they don't. And they really don't. But you can tell the ones that, that do. do because overnight from yeah. Tuesday to Wednesday morning, they get better. And they've never fired one live round at their house. It's all dry fire. Yeah. I'll tell you one of the a guy I've never shot with them, uh, done podcasts with them. Uh, follow his shooting um he's a guy who shoots for walther named Juanza kim 
and he became probably one of the best carry optics shooters in the country mm-hmm. shooting about 2000 rounds a year. <laughs> what? <laughs> All dry fire. Just dry fire. And the way that he talks about training, the way that he breaks it down and the, the, the way that his brain work, you know, and explains it. And this is what we're measuring the measuring side of it. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's amazing for that. Yeah. And, and it, it, it there's no, I mean, you can't argue it works. Well, no, the proof is right there in the pudding, dude. I mean, yeah, whatever yeah. he's doing, it's 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 working. <laughs> what I think where where you get guys dry firing, like, yeah, you got to do the gun handling part, but what gets overlooked a lot is what you get from the aiming, the mm-hmm. visual piece mm-hmm. of it. Because the easy answer is like, I got to dry fire my draw, I got to dry fire my reloads, mm-hmm. and they're focused on that. Not really the. To me, the most valuable assessment of dry firing a draw is where that index is. So, you know, you're staring, you're, you're training yourself to start with like a one inch paster on a white wall and you're training yourself to look at that one inch paster and ignore everything else and just burn a hole in that. And the gun comes out and either the sights are there or the dot is there and does, is it arriving and then fixing the mechanics of that index mm-hmm. the whole time moving as fast as you can, you know, physically move your hands to make this happen. Then you take that paster away and now you're really doing the important work is you're learning to look to parts of targets mm-hmm. rather without a visual reference. Mm-hmm. Right. And you think about it from, from a gunfighting standpoint, mm-hmm. that's what you, you have to do. You know, it's the aim small, miss, miss small, small. find yeah. something on that target to look at or that person driving gun to where you're looking. <laughs> yeah. But if there's nothing to look, I've got to be able to stare at your white shirt yep. and, and not see something. the whole shirt and just look to where I, because at the end of the day, when, when, you know, when, when there's a, a relatively good foundation, right. Mm-hmm. And the grip is good. You can pull the trigger without moving the sights. Yeah. The bullets are going to go to where you're looking. Right. And training that visual piece is to me, that's what's, I think that's for my own personal training is what I'm really focusing on now. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to spend the time and have a, a good index and aiming schemes and confirmation levels and all that stuff. But, um, visually just looking to the right parts of targets, you know, on the competitive side, you, you put a no shoot on a target, right. Or CQB, a photographic, uh, hostage target, Everyone just stares at the shit they don't want to shoot. Yeah. And then just the aiming parts kind of in the background and they compensate for that by going slower. Mm-hmm. Right. To ensure the shot. And it's always that, Hey, slow down and make the shot, make the shot. Mm-hmm. Just see it faster. Yeah. And make the shot. It goes back to that processing. Yeah. The stuff. Hey, let's go back to sites, uh, site package. Are you front site focus, target focus, <laughs> racing back and forth, a mixture of both. What are we doing here? So when I shoot um, iron sights, I shoot target focused out to about 35 yards. Irrespective of target difficulty, you know, out to about 35 yards, I focus, I shoot target focus. Now, is that like whole body silhouettes? No, even partial. And I'm just looking, I, you know, target focus shooting, the target is the clear part. Right. And I think that's critical for law enforcement yeah, guys. Very. Right. Because if you're, if you're, if you're in a situation, you're going to look to the target. Mm-hmm. 
right? And then you're going to make your decisions. Hey, this is what has to happen. The gun comes out. You look at the target. If you're going to get hit, you come back to the site, right? But what more time when you see the hit percentages in law enforcement, right? And I've read a lot. Six percent. Nine um, percent nationally, we're 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 right under about forty percent. It's a forty percent. Uh, yeah, it's a forty percent hit rate. Really? I yeah. Thought was, I thought it was a forty percent hit rate. So sixty percent worth of misses. Okay. the The numbers that I've got from like four was always it four was signs. Low. Yeah, it was like nine to thirteen percent. Uh, how old is that one? Um. I think we can. Agree. I don't. It's not very good. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We agree <laughs> yeah. on that. It's, yeah, I mean, let's. It's, it's not good. It's horrible. Yeah, forty percent. Forty. Forty percent. Um, it's not good. So if you come out and in a lot of those engagements, and you can watch the videos where there's more times than not, there's a lot of lapses in fundamentals. Yes. The gun. They're not holding the gun correctly. The gun is moving a lot, and there, there, there's no real aiming scheme. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can kind of tell that based off the body cam at the rate they're shooting or they're world-class shooters. Yes. Because those like the splits, the metrics of them. I mean, I've taken some um, body cam and put it into an app called shot max just to kind of see mm-hmm. where these draw times were. And the draws are quick, you know, yeah. um, they're reacting. There's an urgency there and all that. But when you see, if you shoot 10 rounds and six of them, they went somewhere, Yeah, you yeah. know, and yep. that's alarming. That's yep. very Especially in the day's age right yeah. now. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's more, um, I think, more examples of that type of shooting than there are examples of, like, really controlled, mm-hmm. fast enough shooting. Yeah. You know, because I don't think a lot of the times when they're engaged, it's the, it's the, they're not inoculated to that level of violence that they're about to experience. That's that's the big thing for me when it comes to law enforcement and teaching law enforcement, uh, firearms is, you know, the guys are not prepared for that level of violence. They've never really thought about it because in their 15, 20 year career, it's never happened to them. So therefore it's not going to happen ever. Yep. Right. And then the moment when it does happen, your body is doing things that you're not aware of. So on the range, yeah, we do shoot and move, but I, you know, I, I preach plant my feet, drive gun, and then move to cover, you know, not actually shooting and move together because that's, that's something hard for us to teach. But if you look at some of these body cameras, you as a target, you're moving. And now I'm moving because I feel like I have to do something with my feet. Yeah. Right. So now I have all this stuff combined going, you know, working against me. So outside of the, the, the situational scenario type stuff, right? So I think that inoculation, the, I'm a big, you don't, in my opinion, you don't build mindset on a range. You shouldn't even try to. No, you can't. Nope, absolutely. You want to be a hard man, you got to go, hard man or hard woman, you got to go do hard shit. Yeah. And I think a lot of that, you know, more guys are getting into different fight sports and and that type of training, right? You you need to have that realistic type training um, or that thing in your life. And it can be endurance type things, yeah. hard workouts, you know, CrossFit, you need to go thrash yourself. Exactly. I mean, it's like basic military private type stuff. <laughs> right. You got to right. go beat yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but from the shooting part of it, you know, for that, like the engagement, right, from engagements that I've been in, probably 90% of them, there's been an element of movement. Either the target's moving 
or I'm moving or we're both moving. Mm-hmm. Right. So from the training side, the hard skill standpoint, you have to give guys strategies to do that, to be successful at that. And then talk about like, how are they, how are they connecting to the target? How are they connecting to their sites to get the result that they want without the misses? Right. You know, and then we can add stress, you know, in the form of making the target difficulty, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. Right. We can just put performance anxiety on them and have two guys run the same drill side by side. Yeah. And kind of figure that out. But it doesn't have to be this. At the end of the day, we're still shooting paper targets. Nothing's going to happen. This is now you fighting yourself, amping yourself up from a performance anxiety standpoint. And just execute what you know how to do. Oh, yeah. I mean, you see it if you're running like a a CQB class and you're just going force on paper. (laughs) for one day and then the next day it's force on paper and then after lunch now it's force on force man you see assholes pucker up real quick because now you're like oh shit now someone's shooting back now someone's moving now there's now i'm having to process what is this guy a a role player is a bad guy is this role player a hostage is this role player you know yeah but guys do like on force on force guys i think you said earlier guys still do some shit that they would probably never do under live fire because they know it's yeah, or, Sims rounds. or just things that they're they're not able to do. So we yeah. would do a lot of. I was telling you, you know, the <laughs> training where we'd come to cities yeah. mm-hmm. and um and use SWAT teams and police forces right. to aggress for us, and they would get the same role player brief yeah. all the time. It's like, like these guys are going to come. They, these guys are not going to lose. Yeah, they're not going to stop. Yeah, right. And they're going to come in, and we're going to shoot you <laughs> between your sternum and your belly button. Uh-huh. And you're going to get three to five rounds in there. Yeah. If you don't react to the feedback they're giving you, <laughs> they're going to start aiming at places that aren't covered yeah. by pro gear. Yeah. And that was always the biggest debrief on guys. Not mad at it, but when you're shooting their hands mm-hmm. or you're shooting them in the neck. Yeah. Or whatever you expose, if you want to hide behind something, like I know I'm going to shoot through this desk. Right. But I can't with Sims. So whatever you give me, that's what I'm going to shoot. <laughs> and that was always the Dirty. that was always the big debrief was like, like what was hanging out there is what he hit. Yeah, and he hit it a lot. Yeah, and and that was the training, like using this practical approach, like the performance side of shooting mm-hmm. into the shooting piece. When you put that into the tactics, the shooting's just running in the background. Mm-hmm. I'm I've never. Or the goal is to not have a CQB environment where you come into a room and you're concerned about any of the shots you have to make. Yeah. Because you're assessing so many other things. Yeah. Where you're at, you're, you know, getting to the right point, point of domination. You want to take those shots fast on the move, identifying, discriminating, deciding on every target that's in there, and then balancing what everyone else is doing yeah. to keep pushing the fight. Yeah. With all of that stuff that's going on the shooting just needs to kind of happen yeah. in the, with not a lot of active thought and how you get there is you've got to figure out where your limits are with shooting. Like I know a lot of, like I know what I can do mm-hmm. on a dry, I know what I can do on a three target transition. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's just from geeking out of it and it all comes from the practical side from that. Yeah. I know a 10 yard transition, what a good time is going to be for me and what a bad time is going to be. Yeah. And not everyone in your stack are robots so not everybody has a little different yeah time frame of processing things and 
being able to shoot. I mean, you're all, you can all be great shooters, but there's going to be someone that shoots faster and better. And what's the difference between the the best guy and the last guy? I don't I don't know what that is. If it's it's very significant, then we need to close that gap. But if it's a few tenths of a second, yeah, hey, that's that's acceptable. I mean, that's we're not all robots where we all the same thing. So, yep. and it's mm-hmm. got to be four guys going to a room. You know, we definitely need at least three of them processing everything that's going on because that one guy might have. And it's usually going to be the three or four man have the hardest shot or the the toughest problem against a photographic target, and he's just laser focused on mm-hmm. that. Where the last thing we want to do is everything shot. We're ready to come off the walls. So that's what I'm saying. Three of those guys need to be switched out, and it ends where we're all just staring at them. Yeah. And then when he takes, and as soon as you see him disconnect from the target, it's yeah out of the room. Yeah. You know. Um. Yeah, and like you said, everyone's different, mm-hmm. you know. So, so we're talking earlier about tactics, um, X-ray alpha, all firearms. Yeah, I've done some uh, some tactical stuff, some CQB. The way that I I like to do it is um, is if guys want to train on the tactics side, like I'm interested in in helping you do whatever your TTPs are better. Most people don't want a tactical, a tactics change. And what I found too, you know, like I was saying, the tactical discussions become emotional. They sure can. And I'm not emotionally tied to anything like that. Yeah. Not from the tactics side. It's not anyone is bad or whatever. There's limitations. And you can say what the limitations are. But when people start making these always and never statements yes. on the tactical thing, it right off the bat, a lot of times I'm going to say it comes from a, a place of of little experience where you, you've got one event that worked out this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or it comes from a place of no experience and it's theory-based. Right. Um, and then, or, or you're selling something. Selling your, this your, is your class. Your system. Your system, yeah. Of whatever. And, and that might not be, be good good either i mean if you if you can't have like a discussion over drinks on why something may or not be good yeah and then it come to the realization like you know there's a lot of i have a lot of my own feelings about kind of what happens at the threshold assessment and things like that is i was involved when that ttp was developed and uh-huh. how it was developed in response to in the GWAT thing and then that kind of migrates back to law enforcement um and it was something that we were using because it took a while to get in. Hey, this isn't hostage rescue. There's no need for us to assume a lot of risk to get this done. Right. It's situational dependent. It might not be for everyone, but there was some criteria that had to be met for that TTP to use, be used. And one of them was it had to be pitch black under nods and the walls had to stop bullets. If those two things aren't present, like uh, like we talked about before, a committed adversary is yeah. going to shoot through the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now I get it. It's hard. It's very difficult to argue that when it's been so successful at it. Yes. But if you're not willing to admit that that's a much easier tactic to master than a more dynamic version of CQB, we can't even begin to have that conversation. Right. And what we find in America is there's very few – 
walls that stop bullets. And not every team is equipped with the ability to use night vision and or if they are equipped, have enough experience to implement that on a real live op and stuff. So you're, you're left with, well, we have to go in this structure. So what are we going to do to do this? Yeah. And it's like anything else you, in my personal opinion, you have to be able to do a lot of things very well in the SWAT community. You can't just go, our only way to do this is surrounding call out. If that's your only way to do that, well, guess what? You're going to eventually have to go in that house and clear things. You're going to eventually have to go hostage rescue. So if our pinnacle in, in SWAT is HR, then we have to practice that. And how do we practice that? By doing other things dynamically when we see fit and they work for for that operation. Yep. Not just to go everything. It's not just one key fits this and then the other key fits this. I mean – you have to be able to do it all very well and efficiently, but also know, hey, it works for this. Uh, let's these situations for this, this, and this. It's not going to be well. Let's let's do this because it's going to work better for this situation. But some teams aren't like that, and that drives yep. me crazy. Or some trainers aren't like that. You have to have an open mind and know your skill set, know what the operation is, and understand it, and make the right decision for your team. Yeah, for the people that you have that are going to run the operation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I hate when guys go, yeah, we do it the same way every single time because that's how we've always done it. Yeah. That's the, uh, so, um, what's on the books for you right now? I'm going to, uh, train here for three days, yeah. uh, two days in class and one extra day of training. And then, uh, next week I will be up at Fort Campbell doing some military guys. And then, um, that's it for, for August. And I've got a couple uh, private classes that are going on in September. The civilians? No. No, oh, it's, uh, yeah, uh, government guys. Gotcha. So that's pretty much it. Uh, pretty easy schedule. It's been my work schedule's in flux, so it's hard to <laughs> forecast out a y'all, year in advance. Y'all so. get random texts or weird times or emails. I'm like, yeah, he's doing something. <laughs> yeah, where is he? What time zone is he in? <laughs> Yeah. Train somewhere, doing something, man. Uh, Try to answer them, man, and as, as fast as they come in, and then I'll yeah. see something. If it's like if my email or a uh, text isn't refreshing, I'm not hooked to any Wi-Fi, and then I get it, and it's like, oh, that's fucking two days old. Or <laughs> I'll do that, or I'll, I'll I'll start typing, and then something happens, and I'm like, oh, dude, I never even sent that shit. Sorry, man. Yeah, and I'm I'm the notorious for the. Oh, we're having a couple beers. Let me FaceTime this guy. <laughs> this is, this is, uh, is going to be a great time to have this conversation. Let's go ahead and do this. What could go wrong? Well, good, man. Um, man, that's all I got right now. Wow, you're 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 done. You had well, nothing I, to say. I, I want to respect everybody's time here on, on on a Sunday, and you know, you know. Wow, first time for everything. He's me and Matt got to get back to my house to drink some beer and. Hang out in the pool, man. Well, that's that's just got turned weird. Okay, so well, hey, he was just doing army. Hey, a, hey so a don't face, hey, don't don't fucking Facetime me later <laughs> when you guys have some beers in you in, in the pool. Just you know, whatever, whatever. Uh, so, Matt, you got any closing words, man? Anything? No, no, man. Thanks for having me out. Uh, appreciate it. Happy to be here, man. Yeah, Working man. I mean, uh, thank you for coming out. And if there's anything that we can do for you, you know, just let us know. Brandon will do everything in his power to uh, make it worth your while to come back. And we definitely got to get you down to the conference. Yeah, have you come sure. to our conference yeah. next year? Yeah, April. I'd like to get, 
So guys that are listening to this podcast, if they want to train with you, how do they go about doing that? Um, the easiest way is uh, hit me up through my website, okay. www.xraalpha.com. I got a contact form there. Um, right. Comes to my email, um, and then I'll respond. Uh, my my phone number is on there. That's uh, my actual phone. Send me a text. All right. Social media on Instagram. You can DM me. Whoa. Constantly yeah. checking all of that stuff. Right. Unfortunately. As he, as he rolls his eyes. Unfortunately. <laughs> That is some uh, interesting stuff. Like I see trainers on uh, Instagram and man, some of the shit that, that just gets posted, like that does just has to, like you, you kind of alluded to it earlier that some of the shit is just unnecessary, like trolls out there. Like, come on. Yeah. Like it, it just drives me crazy. Instagram is ruining shooting one oh, video at a time. Man. Social media is running a lot of shit around here, one video or yeah. post at a time. But it's a nece- it's so good in so many ways, but it's so bad in so many ways as well. well as like, a business owner, like yeah, yeah, you have to, you, or even you, us. Yeah, like I mean, you need it to promote whatever you know, like your business or this podcast or whatever it is. But Jesus, man, everybody's looking to get their fucking feelings hurt or just. It's funny. Know, it's just, the thing that drives me nuts is, I mean, there's some you know, even guys I know that worked at the same places that are the insta famous guys and yeah. and all their fanboys. Yeah. And you're just like, man, it's just it's just not real. Right. You know, if you're if what you're selling is your your service, your experience, I, to me I think that's wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um and then obviously it's you know, from the tactical world, like your relevancy in that tactical world is about six months. Yeah. Probably less now. Uh-huh from what I see. So it's just, these guys are just normal guys. Like you got to judge people what they're doing. Yeah. Right. And you figure out, are you actually, are you trying to get better? If you, if you're trying to get better, there's tons of resources out there where you can exhaust yourself, you know, through personal discovery in your own training time. Mm -hmm. Right. And I've plenty of time guys I've never even trained with hit me up with messages Dude, I'll help whoever I can guide them to the places that I go to look for resources. You know, there's that kind of training. And then there's like the (laughs) entertainment. It's like a touch the magic experience. Yeah. I've, I'm going to, I'm going to steal that word from you. Yeah. Entertainment. Entertainment. Well, cause I know a lot of guys now in the industry that, that, that train that I know personally as friends and I see, their post and I've trained with it and I know them and some of the comments I see or, or the shots at them and they, I'm like, man, you don't, first of all, you don't know what you're talking about. You're taking what they're saying out of context and they're giving your, their perspective and they have, they have legitimate credibility in the, in this area. They're not, they're not outside of their, you know, wheelhouse. They're not talking about fucking, you know, wakeboarding or something that they have yeah. no idea about. They're, they're talking about what they've experienced and stuff. And then you got these guys just coming on bashing this or, well, I went to this class and so-and-so said this. Well, okay, well, that's great. Take both perspectives and see what works for you or, or, or understand, hey, there's two ways to do this. My whole deal is, guess what? There's Ford, there's Chevy, there's Dodge. All of them are good vehicles. You know what? Someone yeah. might say, well, fucking Dodge is the only thing to drive. No Ford. I don't give a rat's ass as long as it gets me to point A to point B and – at the end of the day, that's the kind of how I look at training. Hey, it's all good. You know, is there some things that I like better that some trainers do? Yeah. That's just like anything else. I mean, 
you, you go and want to throw a football. Okay, well, who are we going to get to throw a football? Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, who, who, who? All of them can throw a football. And they might have a little different tweak on it, but at the end of the day, you're going to be able to get value out of that. But that drives me crazy to see some of the comments that just get thrown out there. Yeah, and I think it's it's weird, you know, if you're you put stuff out on social media and then it's always like anything you put out, it's just open for attack. Yeah. It's like, all right, let's argue about this, you know. And a lot of times you just gotta ignore the comments, maybe. Yeah. Or or just also don't figure stuff out for yourself Mm -hmm. or take that, go apply it, see if that's going to work for you. If it's a technique, if it's a a concept or a principle of shooting or something like that. Um, If it's, if it's like tactical type training and that is not in your job. (laughs) I mean, you got to really stop and think about what you're doing. I mean, yeah. Read a little bit, kind of get, talk to some people and see like, you're putting yourself in a position where you're, you're going to get into an unwinnable fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then also you, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. Like a quick story. I did a, did a thing with the, with the Buffalo bills, um, you know, and went and <laughs> talked to that team and uh, the thing was, we we're talking about, about uh, managing personalities and high performance teams mm-hmm. where everybody is so good. Yeah. Like how do we get them all working towards the same thing? And I was, you know, see football on TV, see, met these dudes. Yeah. When you see that shit in real life, like there are people that think you played high school football that you can do this. Yeah. Like, and I'm watching them practice, right? And it's so regimented and so disciplined, right? And they've got like the the first string guys are going to do one play and it's like half speed, then a little bit more. And then the, the next one's like full speed. Uh-huh. And when you see what $12 million a year looks like running up the field right next to you. Yeah. It's like, dude, you've got nothing for that. Yeah. And that's how gunfighting is. Yeah. You're talking about something that you don't ever want. I get it. Train, prepare, be ready. But you really are talking about something that you don't, you don't, you shouldn't be talking about. Um, I mean, that's just my opinion on it. Well, I think too, it's like, like I'm never going to, get in an argument with military guys about what they've experienced because that's not my wheelhouse. I was, I was not in the military or anything like that. And especially the higher you get in the levels of special forces and stuff, I mean, they have their own uniqueness and their own skill set that you've earned that right. So therefore, if you're going to be critiqued, on what you're teaching, it needs to be probably done from someone that's a peer of yours, just like me and Derek. Me and Derek can have an argument because we're peers with agencies and on SWAT and all that kind of stuff. So, therefore, when me and him can have an argument or discussion or, or, or toss things back and forth to say, hey, what do you like about this or not, there's a respectability. But when some though a fireman out there that wants to talk to us about how to do CQB or how to do this – like, yeah. yeah, but now if a fireman wants to talk to us about some breaching stuff, we're like, okay, hey, yeah. we'll steal some of your shit because yeah. y'all do breach. Y'all use some of the same tools. So, and and I think that's where man, it gets lost, and and that's where it drives me crazy. I'm like, man, I'm like, I think you you can only have, you know, opinionated discussions like arguments when the commitment level's the same. Yeah. If there's 
if there's varying commitment levels, mm -hmm. like in my opinion, don't, you're just going to frustrate yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's hard to like 100. Hey, yeah. You know, it's that a lot of guys, you know, a lot of people have done a lot of, a lot of dudes went to war. A lot of guys did mm -hmm. a lot of combat. Yeah. Right. It's, but there's, there's, there tends to be this thing where like, I've got it. I own the book on this. On this. Yes. And it's like, cool. Why aren't you still doing it then? Mm -hmm. There are places you can go. You can continue to do that job. Yeah. Why aren't you still doing it? If you were the one man national asset, why aren't you anymore? <laughs> why didn't you do 30 years? Yeah. Why'd you leave? You know, it's so the commitment levels are different. I'm right. not taking anything away from anyone. Your experience is your experience. Yeah. I like listening to different views on things. Yeah. Right. And if I get a view of something, somebody tells me something. Because it helps you grow. Yeah. It helps you grow as whatever you're doing. Yeah. And I'm going to take it and try it. Yeah. I'm going to metric the hell out of it and see if I can. If I hate to say this, but you're taking that shit and you're putting it in your little tool bag toolbox and if you ever come across something you're like boom i remember this i can pull this out and i can apply it to whatever problem is in front of me yeah when i see on the shooting shooting side man i see some of the stuff these guys are doing and there there's some dudes out that own a holster comp tier one concealment mm -hmm. that dude i like it makes me feel bad about my level of skill <laughs> from appendix uh-huh i was just like god dang there's Boys are a flying. Dude that owns that company, you see him like repeatedly shoot a yeah. Shoot an ejected casing. Yeah. I don't know. What? <laughs> yeah. You haven't seen that? I don't have the insta oh, face. Yeah. The insta face. He's a no, but I mean it's not I get it. That's not a every time thing, but I, I listened to uh him it was an interview with him and he was talking about when he was younger how he got it like shooting BB guns and got really good at shooting stuff in the air it's like you're you're training yeah the visual side of modern shooting when you didn't even know it mm -hmm. right and it was hey you you put forth all this time and this skill and now you're doing this you know and it's like if if everything aside you know if if big concealed carry practitioners and everyday carry guys if you have that reservoir of skill yeah and you're you know the ability to run this extremely horsepower, aggressive, nasty draw and shooting, right? And it's accurate. Yeah. And it's fast. You have that, you know, your bag is huge. When you need it, your controlled level is going to be faster than real life. Yeah. And that's what I think I always try to do with my shooting. Mm -hmm. But I, I see all these different viewpoints and a lot of some stuff I don't agree with. Yeah. You know, um, there's plenty of conversations I've had with Mike. We don't see eye to eye on everything. But we talk all the time and I go shoot his stuff and he shoots my stuff. And it's like, yeah, let me, I, this is shows a hole in my, I need to get better at this. Yeah. You know, it, it's the same thing It's someone might be a, this brand gun and this guy's another brand gun. Okay. And you have your absolutely reasons for the, why you shoot this gun. And he has the reasons why he shoots this gun. And they're both legitimate. Like at the end of the day, yeah. why are we fucking arguing about that shit? Like it, that just drives me crazy. I completely uh, do not give a fuck about gear. Yeah. I don't care what gun. I'm more concerned how you shoot it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and mm -hmm. it took me a long time to not, to get over the fact that 
the pistol didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like in the competitive world, man, I ran the. Wait a minute! What? No, you're wrong because <laughs> every time I miss, it's the gun's fault. Yeah. Well, me too. Yeah. I mean, like, my, I, you know, like you miss, you look at it, and you're like holding it up, and you're like, oh, it's got to be fucking crooked, or the sights are off. Yeah, they're always yeah. off. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it, yeah, but I, you know, you think, oh, <laughs> this guy shoots this gun, I've got to do that. Yeah. I, I want to shoot that gun. You know, this guy's is. His uh, bullets facing out. Yeah. Oh, I think I'm going to try that. And it's, yeah, yeah, there's going to be some personal exploration that you do to figure out what you like, but like the, the serial switching of guns and yeah, it's like, dude, if it fits your hand, you like the way it's like golf clubs, man. Yeah. It looks good standing over it. You're probably going to hit it Mm -hmm. better than something that you don't like. Yeah. So just shoot it. It has nothing. question. I know. I mean, like you probably get this. What gun should I shoot? Yeah. It's the one that you shoot the best, the one that yeah. fits you the best, the the caliber that you can control the best and get follow up shots faster. And Dude, to be honest, I I don't think I've ever had anyone ask me that. Really? In in a class, I mean, I shoot I shoot a Glock seventeen now, um, in uh, for production, and I teach with it. Mm-hmm. And it's not I I actually don't really necessarily care. I like I think the Gen fives are pretty good. I like the mm-hmm. what they did with the grips and things yeah. like that. Um, but it's, it's for me, it's because there's tons of other pistols that feel better in my hand. Yeah. Right. I, I think the SIG 320, you know, that X5 feels great. Mm -hmm. And the problem is I have a shit ton of Glock magazines and all my holsters are for Glocks. And that's what I've been shooting for the last 17 years. Exactly. Um, so it doesn't make sense. If you drop that SIG, should it may go off? (laughs) Yeah. And I love buying a $600 gun and putting a hundred dollars into it. Yeah, insights and another 150 in a trigger. I mean, it, that's what you got to do, right? Yeah, so. yeah. But yeah, you're right. I'm like, I mean, all I grew up with going through the department was a Glock. That's all I've ever shot. That's yep. that's what I know. Um, they've worked out every time I've ever needed it. Uh, so I, I've enjoyed that. Now I just purchased a, a staccato. Started shooting that last week. I like it. Feels good. You know, but. I'm just trying that out to see, hey, what it is. I mean, it's I know just, the reason why he purchased that. Why was that? Somebody got in your head. <laughs> so, Somebody <laughs> was shooting it really good, and he was like, "Dude, no. this guy's shooting it really good. Guess what I'm going to do? No, actually, when I'm going to go buy this gun and shoot just like him." When I went to the conference and they were having the demo days and stuff, and it was out there, I was like, "Man, let me see this gun." I started shooting. I was like, "Damn, this feels really uh, good. I like this stuff." And yeah. just know. so happened, we went to a class where the guy was shooting nothing but a staccato. That was way before that, man. <laughs> Just way before that, I'm telling you. I I grew up like the first CQB I did was with 1911s, uh-huh. and I loved it. I was like, I thought, hey, this is a great pistol. Yeah, but never went out and bought a 1911. Yeah, you know, shot it for work, and then it was funny when it, they switched over to Glock 22s and Glock 35s. Yeah, and for some people, that was very very emotional. Uh-huh. <laughs> and to be honest, I think yeah. The Glock is a better duty pistol uh-huh. than a 1911, just from a reliability standpoint. Right, yeah. You know, from my experience. And capacity. Yeah, capacity. I mean, but now 20, 2011s and yeah. the 2021s, you get even more capacity, yeah. probably in 9 mil. Yeah. But my experience with 1911s, like throughout the invasion of Afghanistan and Iraq, I mean, if you said dust around that thing, it didn't work. <laughs> you said it. So the pistols, <laughs> yeah. in, There's a little in dust that environment, there. right? 
weren't any any what I saw for me and the guys that I was with it was you know we all went there with the kit how we were supposed to wear it yeah right you had way more magazines than you would ever use I think I think it was something crazy like 11 magazines seven forty five magazines damn and that about three days later the pistols are all in the trucks <laughs> the pistol mag pouches are off forget about wearing a big ass battle belt yeah it's like now belt with maybe a grenade on it shit's hot 11 mags goes to five goes to seven all right i got three one in the gun i'll put an extra one in my back pocket yeah and yeah. <laughs> it's hot and it's heavy <laughs> yeah and it's just it drives home you just it's all mission depend yeah that that's how i am over the swat years when i was young i'd have all this gear now that i'm an old swat guy i'm like okay don't need this don't need this okay. so wear your plates I still wear my plates. Okay, yeah. just making sure. <laughs> no, I still wear that shit, man. Just making sure. <laughs> old, old SWAT guy, I don't need this. I don't need this. Yeah, like but yeah. plates are heavy. Yeah, I was like, I don't, but I don't, I don't need this shit right here. I, I'm going to be lighter. It's, uh, man, I've, the guys I work with now, I've heard that where, like, not wearing, like, guys making concerted arguments for not wearing plates. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm like, they're going to regret that. You do wow. you. I mean, it, I mean, I guess I wouldn't do that. And now the plates are. They're so light. They're. Ridic- when those super lightweight plates came out, I was in the military and I was like, I thought it was a joke. Yeah. I was like, this is what I think happened. They did the cost benefit analysis <laughs> on what it takes to pay SGLI versus how many guys have actually been hitting the plate. <laughs> so these are fake plates. Because <laughs> they are ridiculously light. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. So especially some of the stuff that's out there that, you know, that that just hit the market. I'm like, damn, man, that's lighter than a, than your vest that you would carry on patrol oh, yeah. right there at it. You know, did some like small unit exchange with dudes from the 82nd before I retired. And, and they were all training on our ranges and shooting, you know, and these guys were role playing for us. We uh, trained them for like four days, you know, and uh, run them through like rifle, little bit of two man CQB for them and their, their TTPs. And uh, one of the guys were, cleaning shit up on the range right and he walks over and he's just moving our vests yeah to to uh move them so he can police up brass we're tearing down targets and i'm a hundred yards away from him he picks up a vest and moves it and he looks at and he yells to his buddy and you hear him what the fuck (laughs) it's like (laughs) like my entire vest weighed like maybe 30 pounds yeah yeah, that's fully loaded. With charges the, everything, and he's like, "My shit." He's like, "Feel my bed." <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. Man. I'm old. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. All right. Well, I know you guys got pool time. Yeah, we got pool time. You pool, can come over, big, pool. big dude. Gear. I got things to do, man. You're already tan uh, enough, though, dude. I know. Man. I can't get any more tanner, yeah, dude. You can't, I got, man. I got things to do. You gotta go shave and shit. Yeah, I go shave. That's a that's a lot of razors, and a lot of shaving cream. <laughs> All right. And then I gotta get the back, and it's I gotta get a razor and a yeah. stick, and <laughs> it gets out of control. A bunch of mirrors. Yeah, it's yeah. time consuming. At least so, you're man, manscaping though, that's dude. Good. Totally, that's good. It makes the front yard look bigger and the house look better. <laughs> <laughs> what about the backyard? How's the oh, backyard? The backyard. Look? I mean, the back. The backyard is what it is, man. The backyard is what backyard it is. backyard looks like a dirty cargo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude. Okay, so that's going to be the name I, of the podcast. I was podcast. about to say, that's going to be the name of the that's podcast. That's going to be the name of the, the backyard. looks like a dirty cargo net. <laughs> All right, so this time for real. Anything else? You good? No, no. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate and, yeah, it. Yeah, thanks for coming. Uh,
coming in. And like I said earlier, if there's anything we can do, man, we will we will do it for you. And uh, I appreciate you get that. Well, he'll do anything for you. I, yeah. Speaking of backyards, <laughs> it's kind of weird. I'll talk to you off off air about that. All right, guys, uh, that's it. Episode 13. Stay safe. See y'all. Train hard. Yes, sir.